The ABC's word wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rolly Sussex. Good morning, Rolly. How are you? Hot. Yes. As I came across the bridge, it was 35. As I came past the convention centre, it was 35.5, according to the car, and rising. It just is inching up every moment, isn't it? Lots to talk about uh, in the news um, as well as uh, elsewhere when it comes to language. But let's hear from Peter at The Gap as well. G'day, Peter. G'day, how are you? I'm well. Uh, What's your question, I mean, I'm asking with trepidation because I see my producer has written that uh, that you are going to talk about swear words, but of course we yes, won't say yes. any. You know, Professor, swear words, mm. where did they originate from? Oh, originally swearing was when you undertook something very seriously and you used the name of the Lord or some important person or a saint as witness to your to your commitment. And if you didn't do it, lightning will strike you. Right. Now, that gradually shifted uh, from that meaning to being one where you were taking the name of these things in vain, okay, and then simply vulgar language. It's one of these ones which has done a big shift over the years. Okay. To the point now so, where swear language really isn't about, about religious things anymore. It's just being dirty. So I swear if you don't tidy your room, mm. I will, uh, you know... That's right. That's Throw honest. the TV out the window. Whoa! At the you know, yes. By witness of yeah. you now know whatever is, deity. That's, that's right. sort of w- that that line. This is a serious commitment, and I warn you. And this is yes. what's going to happen unless. Yes. All right. Whereas nowadays, I'm afraid swearing is just just the use of vulgar language uh, of varying sorts, from the the slightly off to the extremely improper. Yes, and a bit of a valve, a bit of a, a sort of pressure release. Oh, yes. Um, uh, Some of the work I've been doing on pain, uh, there's a lovely piece of research out of England which shows that if you're sustaining pain, if you swear, it allows you to sustain it much better. And the worse you swear, the better you manage to sustain it. And for some, it's also a form of punctuation. (laughs) It is. There was a bloke I worked with on a building site once when I was a a student, and he said, will you effing put that effing block on that effing heap? And and I said, why do you talk like that? And he said, I don't want to sound like you. (laughs) (laughs) And also it sort of slows it all down. We can all uh, keep track of exactly what he's saying uh, and gives him that sort of nice little rhythm. Speaking of um, uh, speaking of language, the apostrophe, I was going to ah, say, speaking of punctuation, yes. the apostrophe has been squarely in the news it's been, this week. It's been in the news a lot over the last decade or so, partly due to the efforts of a, a, a group of people in England called the Apostrophe Protection Society, um, which is a name to conjure with, and they've been trying to, keep, to hold the line about the correct use of apostrophes, so you don't put them in with plurals like apples where they don't belong, and you do put them in with things like possessors. And I noticed that they call them the greengrocer's apostrophe because That's you right. do often, as you say, apples, mm. you see them uh, you know, written around food. 
And that would have to be either apostrophe S if it's one greengrocer or S apostrophe if it's many greengrocers. It's a bit like Mother's Day and Father's Day, by the way. You don't know whether it's apostrophe S one mother or S apostrophe or mothers. Now, the Apostrophe Protection Society has been active for quite a while now, and I'm afraid their leader, who's 96, I think, has decided he's had enough and that it seems to have been a battle that he's lost and everyone else has lost by um, indolence and ignorance. And so they're shutting up shop their their website will continue it's apostrophe.org.uk apostrophe.org.uk and and there in fact was a bloke in england who made it his life's work to go around with a paint pot putting in apostrophes where they were needed and taking them out where they shouldn't have been he would be extremely busy and a ladder i feel um a bit protective of the apostrophe as well because i have one in my name and um i feel like it's an important part of the name there it's an important part of the heritage and yet Sometimes um, online booking systems don't like it. Um, some computer programs don't like it. And, um, you know, some people think it doesn't need to be there. So, but Linux doesn't like it if you put apostrophes in the wrong yeah, place. But, uh, you know, O'Toole, O'Dwyer, O'Brien and so on for Irish names. It's a bit like Mac in Scottish, uh, meaning son of, 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 of the clan of. And it's part of the way you spell your name and it should be there. But I'm afraid the apostrophe, as we've said before, is the one bit of punctuation that we don't pronounce. Uh, you know, if there's no difference between dogs, and meaning many dogs, and dogs apostrophe s. And perhaps because of that, it's become very, very under threat. Uh, all across Australia, they're changing place names to take out the apostrophe. So Hoppers Crossing is no... No apostrophe. Cooper's Which Camp adds Road. to the confusion. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. the only if the times when you're most likely to see um, that possessive apostrophe, mm. it's not there, and it's the government writing it, then it can get confusing about when you're supposed to use it. The government gazetteer has approved that the apostrophe will go, and all the way around Australia. And it's not only Australia, by the way; it's the US and England as well. Um, so schools, some schools are losing their apostrophe. You know, St Peter's, St Paul's, or whatever. Uh, St Peter's in Adelaide does have an apostrophe. I know in a, St Peter's somewhere in. New South Wales that doesn't and it, it's a really tricky thing the Veterans Affairs Department does alright but generally speaking if there's a clear idea of possession right the dog's tail apostrophe but if it's veterans and it's for the veterans as well as of the veterans there's a case to be argued for putting it in taking it out putting it at the end and I'm afraid a lot of them are now losing them so the apostrophe of all the bits of our punctuation and the ellipses which is three dots meaning I'm thinking about it that's under under stress colons are being misused uh, the comma is all over the place but uh, the one that I'm afraid is next in line for the chop is the apostrophe so get online look at the apostrophe.org.uk and see if you can help a good cause if you feel passionately about the apostrophe then feel free to uh, state your case today <laughs> as well start a mini rebellion whatever uh, give us a call one three hundred triple two six twelve. good morning Diana uh, good morning you have uh, a new word for Rolly uh, well, I don't know whether it was somebody just being very clever, but we were talking about a friend who's expecting a baby. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, you mean infanticipating. Oh, ooh. <laughs> thank you. Now, that, that is a blend or a portmanteau word where you get two words and take, take parts of each and put them together. So infant and anticipate gives you anticipating, which is rather nice. Um, I thought it was good too. Oh, yes. By the way, something else that's changed recently is that... Um, up to about 15 years ago, I think, if a couple were having a baby, you would say the woman was expecting or the woman was pregnant. Mm. Now, it's quite common to say we are pregnant. 
which means yes. husband well, and wife, are they expecting. are pregnant. Yeah, they are expecting. So they've, they've after all, had both of them have had a part in it. And uh, the, the notion of shared responsibility is taken up by the grammar, which is rather nice. Yes, I don't mind that at all. Uh, hello, Jane, how are you? Oh, good morning. Um, hot, <laughs> as, as, as everyone. Um, <clears throat> I, I know that um, language is living and it grows and changes, but have you noticed, well, I certainly have noticed, language, the way we speak is changing. Um, I speak, I think, in the front of my mouth, but I've noticed the young people, they seem to speak from the throat, and it's what I call squeaky speech. Um, have you noticed that? For example, I'll, I'll give you an ex- I'll, I'll just try something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very hot today. Ah, yes. Okay. This is called creaky voice. Okay. What is it? Creaky voice. Creaky. Creaky. Or vocal fry. Oh, that's close enough, yes. Yeah, because your verb, your word, well, your accent, your, sorry, your larynx, which is your voice box, is actually making this uh noise. Yeah. And is the difference between stone the crows and stone the crows. <laughs> right. And it's, uh, it began prob- probably in America among teenage females. It's been propagated by the Kardashians. And at a university in America, I think it was Ball State University, they did a check among undergraduates and found that 85% of the young women were using it. And a friend of mine who's a specialist in this area says, ultimately, that's going to damage their voice boxes. Oh, that's interesting. And I can't remember, I did read something about that. About, I can't remember about the, the reason for it or, you know, the, the, the reason. It, it tends to be at the, when you're getting towards the end of a phrase and you're running out of air, you squeeze your voice, voice box together to try and make use of the air that you've got. So it used to happen mostly at the end of phrases or voice voice pauses right and then it's kind of spread all over the thing and now people use it all the time for everything and if you listen to young people stations like triple j particularly among the females less among the males um you'll hear it virtually constantly right do i do it i probably no, do you don't right I, it's all of a sudden i'm feeling very uh in the spotlight here <laughs> trying <clears throat> try and speak properly You're immaculate. Come on. <laughs> hello dave in sunnybank hey good day morning um, I'm sort of interested in understanding um, how they teach. Uh, the thing, the thing that gets me is the accent people have, where um, they're, they're like English as a second language, mm-hmm. and I wonder when they teach people English um, whether there's any um, effort made into getting people to use the part mm-hmm. of the mouth that we speak with, so that the language sounds similar. Ah. I just noticed some. Some people with really rich Latino or Asian accents, I, I really struggle on to understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, this is one of the most important bits of an English language teacher's job, to try and get the students to actually hear the sounds of English. And remember that R and L are really, really tricky for Japanese and Korean because they don't have that opposition, R, L. Um, and then to try and get your tongue and lips and so on into the right position to sound authentic. Now, that depends a lot on the teacher. So if you've got an American teacher, they'll be putting one sort of accent forward. If you've got a British teacher or an Australian teacher, in each case, there will be a slight difference of the models, particularly of the vowels. Mm. But, you know, when I took French, for example, I am totally different and I have a different accent. And if you look at my vowels, my, my, my eyebrows have become more bad. I cannot stop them. Uh, it, it's, th- this is the way French people talk to fr- 
French people if they haven't had good instruction in English. But it is difficult because, as you say, the English speaking English is not one English all around the world. There's no, no. many different accents. My uh, sister worked in uh, Canada for a while, and um, she was working uh, with uh, some speech uh, therapists, and they, um, they they were constantly amused whenever she said she was going to get a glass of water. Yeah, just going to get some water. Yeah, they're well, laughing at her. It would have been water, 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 yeah, water. yeah, yeah. And just dropping yeah. the R off the end and completely different shape of the mouth. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is, though, that we are very good at understanding different sorts of English because we're surrounded by it, whereas Americans are not good at understanding other sorts of English, and they, they think, itchy, he sounds cute, what was that you were saying, sort of thing. Um, so it depends on, you know, the big cultures will expect people to talk like them. Smaller ones like us are more flexible. But you're, you're dead right, Dave, the... the understanding of phonetics what's called articulatory phonetics which is how you get your tongue and lips and so on into the right position for authentic english sounds is a major bit on abc radio brisbane and queensland if you'd like to speak with professor Rowley sussex you can one three hundred triple two six twelve is the number that's one three hundred triple two six twelve we are speaking in particular about accents today but uh, if you have another question or a word that you've noticed that you think should go on Rolly's list, you can give him a call to 1300 612. G'day, Don. You were talking about us accents? Yes. What did you want to say? Oh, OK. It's just a couple of English. I, I don't know whether you're concentrating on Australian or English accents, but there's a couple of interesting English accents that I uh, am just curious about. Mm-hmm. Go on. Uh, in that some English people will say like caster sugar rather mm-hmm. than caster sugar. Mm-hmm. They also use a hard G like in um, hanging instead of hanging. Mm-hmm. But I also noticed while I was waiting for Rolly to come on with the 10 o'clock news, the news fellow was talking about um, the New South Wales government speeding up some equipment and he said they need to expedite it which i <laughs> yeah. thought was a new word <laughs> yeah i'm afraid so um the trouble is that with things like orient the noun is orientation so you think oh there ought to be a verb orientate so you make it up and then mm. it takes root and so these things are called back formations because they're created to fill a space where you think there ought to be a word and lo and behold it actually becomes part of the language as well hanging um this is again british particularly dialectal, um, and certainly the a ah thing is a major feature which distinguishes us, for example, from the Americans. Um, that, that's a big topic which I'd love to talk about. Have we got time today? To talk about... American, American pronunciation? Oh, yes, I think so. Shall we, we just hear from Jim first and then we'll, we we'll talk about America. G'day, Jim. Hello, Jim. Yes, hello. How are you? I'm well. Your question? It's just... Well, I went to school many years ago... There were things like the king and I, the movie and that, you and I, you know. And now everybody said, no, you don't say I, you say me, you and me. Yep. Um, this and me. You know, I was brought up in those days, of, you know, like the old movie, the king and I. You mm. and I will go there, you and I will this. And now I say, no, you, we've got I, it's just you and me, mm. you and me. Okay, this is, is part of a... a- current problem in English where people are uncertain what to say. What you've got to do is to take away the you and and see what's left. So I'm going to the shop so you and I are going to the shop. Mum wants you, one wants me to go to the shop Mum wants you and me to go to the shop and once you've got that 
take away the U and, that'll tell you which form you ought to have. And they just put back the U and and you've got the right form. So you just have to think for 30 seconds <laughs> before you say anything. About a millisecond will do. <laughs> uh, the trouble is that the people are then putting I where it shouldn't be in because I is the subject. I'm going to the shop. Anything else, you know, he saw me, he gave it to me, right? It's not I. But people are saying he gave it to Jim and I, and I'm afraid that's wrong as well. But a lot of people are uncertain about that, and I've heard some quite careful speakers get it wrong. What about myself? Ah. I, sometimes it seems that that gets dropped in, possibly because of that uncertainty. It's, it's, I think you're dead right. Uh, people are uncertain what to, whether to use me or not, so they pop into myself, uh, which is all wrong because myself, the self ones, have only really three functions in English. One is I dress myself. You do something back to yourself. It's called a reflexive. The second one is I myself don't believe this. It's emphatic. And the third one is after a, after a preposition. For myself, I really don't feel like doing that. Other than that, uh, myself is wrong. Anyone, you know, if, if you have a problem, come and see myself. Ugh. No. Okay, uh, that's pretty clear. Whenever you get Rolly to say, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely out. It doesn't appear there's any flexibility there at all. Nope. On ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland, Kate O'Toole is my name. And Rolly Sussex is here speaking about words and language and accents in particular. Whose accent will we listen to now, Rolly? I'd love to listen to some President Obama who was a great talker as a means of helping us understand a little bit about what makes an, ex an American accent. Is there anything in particular to listen out for here? Yep, listen out for the R when it's pronounced and not. And also, I think, some of the vowels. Now, we had, we had a question before about caster sugar and caster sugar. Listen for a R and imagine how you'd say it if you were delivering this, this speech. Just imagine yourself in President Obama's shoes. And, you know, say what he's saying a second later as, as he says this. Give that a go. I'm asking you to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents. That idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists. That spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who marched for justice. That creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon. A creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. Just a little clip of uh, American accent uh, English. And a great speaker, honestly. Okay, now, first important thing is what's happening to the R. Because we don't pronounce R after vowels. And what a... <laughs> as we were speaking about the, earlier. Most of the world does, actually. All of North America and uh, Scotland and Ireland and a lot of British dialects as well. The only places without R are southeastern England originally, but now also us and the New Zealanders and South Africa and so on. So words like um, reaffirmed with a R, right? Homesteaders, R, we would say reaffirmed and homesteaders march for justice, right? So that this is a very important difference. The Americans do and we don't. The second one, I think, asking and fast, rather than asking and fast. Now, the Americans say ah, and they say not only ah, but there's sort of an ah, 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 asking, fast, right? Whereas ours is a bit shorter and a different quality, asking, fast, right? So that those are two important things. A third one is the, vo the vowel in document. Now, he said document, ah, ah, document, not document, ah, oh. Ah, oh. And so with these things, you start 
hearing, there are small differences. Foreign is foreign, 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 okay? And also before, when you've got AR, for example, it tends to come out like ER. The word like Harry becomes hairy, hairy. You hear that a bit in Australia as well. Now, that's not a lot because with the exception of R, all the consonants are the same, pretty much, between us and the Americans. And just this little group of vowels, can we understand it? Yes, we can. To quote, to quote President Obama. I will stand up and applaud in just a minute. Uh, g'day, Jeff in Ipswich. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. You're on the apostrophe bandwagon. Yes, and, and as, a, as a retired teacher, I've heard many of arm wrestle. With, mm-hmm. uh, things just the same as like James, James's book. Yes. Whereas I used to tell my students, if you pronounce the S, mm-hmm. you write it. So you would say James apostrophe S. Mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts on, on that? I know times are changing. Yes, and uh, when I was at school, uh, if your name had an S, you just put an apostrophe on the end. and uh, that was As pe- in James' book. Yes, or particularly true of historical writers like Euripides' plays, Sophocles', Sophocles writings, um, or Dickens' novels, for example. But Pam Peters, in her um, authoritative Cambridge Guide to Australian Usage, says nowadays we've basically given up most of these battles unless it's a historical word like Euripides and so on. Just put apostrophe S after everything. So it's James's book. Um, We have a real problem with my name because there's too many S's in it already. You know, Sussex's efforts at doing this. There's too many, you know, if you lisp, it's even worse. Um, So there is a simplification going on and it's apostrophe S by default, I'm afraid. Uh, And and with a thing, thing like Dickens, which is sort of partly historical, but not as old as Euripides. Mm. People go both ways. And with Jesus... Dickens's. I'm Dickens's, not sure about that. Jesus's. It seems, seems uncomfortable, but it actually makes things simpler for learners as well. Hello, Andrea. Yes, hello. I just had a quick question. Um, do you have any good research books or websites on the meaning and origin of family names, such uh, as Baker, Carpenter, etc.? Mm. Uh, yes. There's, um, there are various... Uh, websites and, in fact, companies which will do searches for you on on the origin of your name and how many people actually have it and so on. But if you just get on the web and do English proper name history, you'll find quite a lot. Because quite a lot of these, for example, my name is Sussex and the only place you find Sussexes is in Devon and, and Somerset. Presumably, my ancestors arrived there and spoke strangely and so the locals said, oh, these folks are from Sussex. And that's how we got our name. Some names are from occupations. So Cooper is someone who makes a barrel, mm-hmm. right? And Fletcher is someone who puts the the feathers in arrows, for example. I thought O'Toole were blacksmiths, but I don't I'm know if that's not right. not sure about that. I'll have to check up on that one. Um, others are, you know, white, black, brown, and so on, are, are, are properties of where you what you look like and so on. And so the, we didn't actually have surnames until well after the Middle Ages. And when the population grew, and you might have had a village where there would be 10 people called David. So one of them was David Baker because he was the baker. There was David Farmer because he was a farmer and so on. The only place you had proper names was if you were noble. And then, you know, the noble 
name said which part of the country or which which things you owned as it were and now the, when you think about the royal family in england for example their their surname just changes according to which titles yeah they except that they're the family they're, they're windsor they are. but you are the duke of sussex the duke of suffolk and so on on uh, abc radio brisbane and queensland kate o'toole is my name Do uh, professor rolly sussex is here to speak with you about language in particular at the moment to speak with you Stuart. g'day g'day how are you doing i'm well Kate um, and Rolly, um, I've got a question, um, Rolly. Uh, first of all, on um, an observation on um, on Barack Obama's speeches, he shortens the last word. So, when are we going to get to the moon? And whereas yeah. um, uh, in Australia we would pronounce, "We're going to get to the moon," mm -hmm. you know, we'd draw it out. And I think there's uh, his speeches take on a whole different level um, by doing that. Yes, and I think this is not necessarily the way Americans would pronounce moon in ordinary speech. This is a rhetorical feature because he's trying to get the rhythms of his speech right. Yes, and, very and, good. And he had an absolute gift for working out how long to make a pause. Very similar to Martin Luther King, I think. Oh, yes, I have a dream. Yes. Well, my, my, my question is, when did the middle T in, in important get changed to a D, and yeah. principally by young women? Mm. Uh, not only young women, it's uh, endemic in Australia and America. All the women got together and they voted, was it, I can't remember, was it 96? <laughs> I'm not, not, not going to point this at you, Kate, but no. it seems that even the young women reporters on the ABC have... Uh, have been afflicted. Uh, this one is much, much older than that. Um, it's been with the North Americans as well, where, where um, for example, butter becomes butter, butter. Now, it's not a complete D, because if you make a D, you press your tongue against the little ridge behind your teeth. It's called the alveolar ridge. Hold it there for a bit and then let it go. Bud, all right? But if you do this, this particular D you're talking about, and it's called a flap, because you let your tongue bounce off the roof of your mouth, butter, 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 butter. and it doesn't stay there. There's no muscular tension holding it in place, and that happens with T between vowels. So butter, important, and so on. Uh, it's not a feature of careful Australian speech. And if you listen carefully to Kate, unless she's going very fast, you will hear a T rather than a D. But most people in Australia would actually do flapping, and it's it's one of the features of our our national uh, accent, which is now pretty much a default. And if you hear someone saying important, it can sound almost a little careful and sort of conscious. Yes. It, now it's a, it's, when it becomes a feature, mm -hmm. it's part of our accent now, That's isn't right. it? That's right. And it's spread up from, I don't know which classes, but to become certainly um, standard for people of all ages across Australia, uh, unless you're being rather careful and self-conscious about your speech. On ABC Radio, Brisbane and Queensland, Kate O'Toole is my name, and Rolly Sussex is here, as is Tim. G'day, Tim. G'day. Your observation? My observation is I, I reckon we didn't, needn't get too precious about the way migrant Australians speak as distinct from the rest of us. Mm -hmm. um, firstly, not many of them uh, go to an English language class at all. And why should they when, in fact, as you've observed, in a funny sort of way, English changes because the majority of people get together and start doing something a certain way. A, a example, I'm married to a Filipina. Mm -hmm. uh, when she got here, uh, she went to TAFE. We thought it was for English language, but it didn't turned out to be something else they weren't offering. That's all right. Before long, instead of doing that, she went to work. Secondly, she spent most of the 
her time here talking to me. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard in a relationship like that to, inverted commas, correct someone's <laughs> English. Yeah. So, so, for instance, I now say, water. Do you? If I, if, I want, if I want to her, if I want to say I'm going for a shower, I half-jokingly say I'm going to go for a shower mm-hmm. uh, under the water and, uh, and dry myself with a towel. Okay. Right? Yep. Now, that, that explains why a lot of people don't, they speak English but not exactly like us. I mean, we accept, we accept nowadays, I think, that Aboriginal people speak their own brand of English, yes. for instance, depending on how biculturally confident we consider them to be. So certainly up here, and, and even the Aboriginal people of northwest of Queensland speak slightly differently to the Aboriginal people in the southwest. Oh, yes. And, and well, as do, as do people in north Queensland versus mm. southeast Queensland yeah. versus Vic, Vic, you yeah. know, Victoria. Tim, Tim, or... you've got a number of, of very, very good observations there. I mean, first of all, um, there are people like you and me, for that example, for, for instance, who are assimilators. In other words, we tend to change. We're chameleons. We change our speech to be like the people we're talking to. And I, I find it very difficult not to do this uh, when I'm overseas. Um, and so you've actually paid your wife an immense compliment in a way of sharing a way of talking with her rather than remaining actively different. The second thing is I absolutely agree with you. There are hundreds of sorts of English in Australia. You know, there's Greek English and there's um, Italian English and so on uh, of varying kinds. There are many dialects of English like you know, British people who've come here from Yorkshire uh, or Lancashire or Salford like our producer uh, who speak differently but whom we now understand and I don't think we're judgmental about them the way we used to be. And yeah, that's, I think that's, that's changing too. It's changed. Yeah. Um, on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland we are joined now by Phil on the sunny coast. Hi, two quick questions if I may. Mm. Um, how many... How, how many actual verb tenses are there? And second, in naval terminology, how did we get pusses and rockies, if I may ask? All oh, right. A pusser is a purser. It's a re- re-pronunciation, if you like, of a purser. And the purser is someone who is um, responsible on the ship for keeping the accounts. And so is a sort of a, 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 a bookkeeper for the, for the boat, as it were. What was the other one? Pusses and? Oh, sorry. Here we go. You there, Phil? Yeah, Rockies. Um, r- Rockies are reservists. Pusses are n- naval regular. Okay. I'm not sure about the Rockies. Um, how many verb tenses are there? Depends on how you count them. But we've certainly got past, present and future, which is very easy. And then you've got things like the future perfect, I will have done something, and the past perfect, I have done something. And then there's a pluperfect, which is I was Sorry, I had done something. And there's a continuous, I was doing something. And there's a continuous future, I will be doing something. If you get on the web and look for English grammar, tense, you'll find a whole stack of these things and they'll tell you how to It makes that. my head spin just a little bit when you start the odd wrapping thing is your that, brain course, around all of Without that. knowing all of those words, you use the language impeccably. Yeah. And so we are, all of us, in possession of the code of our language without being able to talk about it necessarily like a grammarian. But are we in possession of Robin's new word? Oh. G'day, Robin. Oh, hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm well. What's your new word? Um, well, it, I reminded myself of it when I heard the lady talking about infanticipating, was it? That's right, yes. <laughs> well, on social media recently, I saw a word that was testiculate like gesticulate with a T, 
and it is a certain British politician um, throwing their arms around and talking total bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was rather clever. It was indeed, only in Britain. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Robin. We nearly have to wave goodbye to Rolly Sussex, uh, but Colin Cairns, I think, can have the uh, last word. G'day, Cairns. G'day, Colin, sorry. Uh, hi, how are you going? Well. Uh, look, I just, I'm just i born in New Zealand where they say fish and chups yes. uh, rather than chips. But one thing I find quite curious over here is that um, Australians tend to put butt on the end of their mm. sentences, like I've, I went up to Cooktown butt. Mm. And I'm thinking, but what? You know? it's, just, it's just a way of finishing a sentence, and you'll find A, also used by, by a lot of people in country areas, uh, you know, a bit hot today, eh? Yeah. It's almost as if you can't finish a sentence with a, an ordinary word, so you have to put something on the end. And it's, it's, it's basically meaningless, except that among people who live there, it's a way of saying, this is the way we talk, and if you don't do it, you mark yourself as somewhere from someone from elsewhere. So not necessarily just a sort of verbal security blanket no, to it, hold on it, to. It's but It's actually a solidarity thing. This is us, and we live in this place, and this is how we talk. Uh, and you wouldn't hear it in careful, shall we say, microphone speak, but you would certainly hear it in the pub or, or just in everyday life, in, certainly in North Queensland. In fact, also in England, I had some English friends, and they'd, they'd have like a hymn before they start the, the sentence. Him, I went up the road. Ah, that's yeah, that's, that's a different sort of thing. But yes, yeah, well said and well spotted. I'd, I've never mm. heard that before. What, uh, what does that mean? It's a dialectal thing. And it, it's it's a, a way of getting your sentence going, I think. It's a bit like saying so or yes, no at the start. Ah. Yeah. Okay, you want a final word? Yes, please. Okay. This is a character who was getting used to using a computer. And he said, I needed a password eight characters long. So I picked Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Rolly Sussex, thank you so much for joining us today. A word in your ear, Professor Rolly Sussex. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.